I am Chris. And I'm Andrew, and welcome to Video Games Cover to Cover, Episode 9. So, Andrew, where did you get this week? <sighs> so, this is something of a hard question uh, for those of you who are listening at home, because Chapter 5 is such a weird... I don't even know how to describe it. Everything is happening at once. It seems like every single side story, every quest... Every conversation, everything is coming to a head in the finale. Which, to be fair, that much I expected. But not me. In almost every other game, when you have a side quest, you normally follow that quest through, and it's normally done. With this game, I, I kind of get it, because it's impossible to go back to all of those side quests, but I also didn't expect everything to come to a head in chapter five. There are multiple things that could have been done in chapter four that just weren't. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was talking about in the last episode where it felt like chapter four just felt like it was rushed and a bunch of cut content because yeah, chap we get into chapter five and all of a sudden everything is happening. And that's not unusual. I know a lot of RPGs like to do the thing where, oh, you're it's time to go save the world, but here's a bunch of side quests that opened up like right before the end of the game. That's a very common because apparently there's no better time to run off and you know breed chocobos or something than right before the end of the world. But that aside, what's really stood out to me this run or, th or this chapter rather has been how interconnected the stories are or the events are compared to every other chapter. In the previous chapters, it was mostly self-contained. I mean, there were some things where, oh, if you've, you know, like you have to get Clasco and Meehan so he can go run off in Calmlands or whatever. But in chapter five, there's been a lot of stuff where it's like, oh, you have to go over here and do, you know, get at least halfway through this dungeon to get the key item to open this other dungeon over here. You have to come back for that. Then we'll have a key to a third place. Yeah, like when you, in order to get all of the manuals to fix up the machine in, in Jose, you have to go into the Chocobo dungeon in order to get one of them. And you, the only way to open the Chocobo dungeon is to have gotten Clasco. And the only way to have gotten Clasco is to do all that stuff. I don't think you can even get Clasco if you don't side with New Yevin. I'm not. No, no, that's usually you, you, you can still get him. Yeah, I, I get confused. <laughs> the the thing is, I know exactly what I'm talking about in my head, and then when my voice when it comes out, it's just wrong. There's a disconnect between your words and your thoughts. Exactly. It's just because I have so many thoughts going on all at once. Sure, we'll go with that. But you haven't answered the question. So have you completed all of the hot spots? Not all of them, but almost all. Uh, the only ones, the only side missions that are still left, and when we, again, for, for context here, when we talk about the hot spots, we're talking about literally every area on the map has a hot spot at the beginning of Chapter 5. Yeah, I think you touched on that last time. Oh. I hadn't seen the map yet, but you had. And when I pulled up the map, it just goes hotspot, 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 hotspot. And it hot. plays the little animation for every single one, too. It's just like they're all there. It's like boom, boom, boom. I thought it was going to give a little ditty for each one, too, because when, when, he, when you first talk to Buddy, he mentions... Hey, Lulu had her baby. Why don't we go check out Besaid? And then I think the next one is Killika. Yeah. And it says, he's like, hey, um, New League is New League. <laughs> We're just smashing them both together at this point. <laughs> well, they basically are because they're best friends now. Yeah, all of a sudden. <laughs> the very next, they're like, oh, we saw one concert with space age technology that's floating around everywhere, and suddenly everyone on the planet likes the mother. You know likes what? Themselves. I, in that case, I guess I stand corrected because I've never been a huge proponent of like VR technology and stuff, but clearly I uh, dramatically underestimated its potential. I think if there was a way to have global. VR 
and there was one concert and one song, we could achieve world peace. But the question is, what is that one song and who is that one performer? Currently, I think it has to be Old Town Road. I think it's Aqua and I think it's Barbie Girl. I thought about that, but <laughs> my, before Old Town Road, my answer, I would have said it would be Africa by Toto because everybody loves Africa by Toto. That's a good one, but what about Don't Stop Believing? Also a fantastic choice. The The real question is, how would it be translated? We'd have to figure out a way or, to translate it for everyone, too. Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. I think that would just excite people a little too much. <laughs> I think that would create a little too much excitement. But we're on the right track here. <laughs> This is the really important this is next, the really important stuff we were here to discuss with this podcast. Next steps are and and this will bring this will bump Final Fantasy X-2 into like everyone's lexicon because we'll save the world. Bill and Ted 3 is getting ready to come out. The whole premise of Bill and Ted 3 is they played Final Fantasy X-2. They saw in order to save the world with their one song, they would need to have everyone see it at once. They are going to use their super space age technology to have a VR that will just encompass the entire planet. And then it'll just be them singing. And then there'll be some awesome like Vagna gun thing. It'll basically just be Final Fantasy X-2. With Vegnagon and everything, but Bill and Ted, I'm getting ahead of myself. No, I like where this is going. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> and then the world world saved. Done. I mean, that's this. I have to think that that's what the movie's going to be about. I, it only makes sense. What else could it possibly be? So, back to Final Fantasy X-2, even though I never really felt like I left. <laughs> because all of this is basically just, I love this game at this point. Yes, you you definitely do. I mean, I really enjoy it, but you're I, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed a lot more than I did, which is a pretty dramatic reversal from when we started. Because I have completed everything, up to and including beating Trema in Via Infinito. Via Infinito being the ridiculously hard bonus bonus dungeon that has, you know, the hardest fights in the game, and if you can beat that, the final boss is going to be a pushover. Trema, outside of Creature Creator, is the hardest thing in Final Fantasy X-2. Yes. And it's really interesting thinking about, given that Creature Creator wasn't available when this game came out, or the original release here in North America, so since you've done it, and I'm going to try to do it this coming week before uh, we're we're playing, we're targeting finishing up by next week. I mean, oh, we will be finished yeah. next week, on barring the end mission taking like I don't know twenty hours or something ridiculous. But I am planning to try to tackle that dungeon as well in the over the next week. And so since you've done it, I want I wanted to ask this question. You said you used at least one of your creature creator monsters, right? I used all my creature creator monsters. Okay. So let's rewind and pretend that this is the original release on the PlayStation 2. How much worse would it have been if you were forced to use just YRP? Well, not that bad, only because what I would have done, I I would have leveled YRP up to level 99 each one of them. I would have already done that. So I guess I'll rewind to this previous week. I haven't been leveling Yuna, Riku, or Pain. Well, Riku and Pain, yes, but I haven't been specifically leveling Yuna because the, when you catch a creature in Creature Creator, it chooses its level based off of what level you are. In order to complete the storyline for the creatures you have to level them up at least three times some of them are three all of the aeons you have to do are five but in order to unlock the demon cup because i've already unlocked the aeon cup 
you have to capture a monster. Then you have to level it up three times. Then when you turn it in, it automatically, and it's that Devia thing, D Deva. It's the thing that casts haste. It's that thing. It's D-A-V-E-A, -E I think is how you spell it. But it's it's whatever that thing is that kind of looks like a like like an angel but evil because it's got wings and it has this staff and it just casts haste on itself immediately almost every time. I'm sure if I was seeing it, it would ring a bell. But like that sounds vaguely familiar, but I'm not. It's not clicking with me. But it's actually, they actually don't show up a whole lot, and the reason is because when you release it, it sort of levels up. It disappears, but then it comes back almost as if it shed its skin and it became a different monster type. You do that three times. When you get the new one, its level is also based on what Yuna, Pain, and Riku are. You do that three times, and then those monsters types actually start showing up in the world. So it's like you're releasing new monsters into the general system. Wow, so we're like completely destroying the ecosystem in Creature Creator. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Wonderful. And Thanks, Shinra. So after you're done with that, then you release this thing that it talks about how monsters or fiends and humans actually used to coexist with one another. And then Shinra's basically like, well, that's impossible to do now, so I don't know why I'd even help you. And then the fiend is like, I don't really care. You're going to help me no matter what. So you're just going to do it. And then the whole point is then you go out and you, you capture a shady looking monster, which ruined things for everybody. It's actually kind of deep and interesting because there's this whole like extra story in Creature Creator that I would have never gotten otherwise. So once you are done with him, then you capture Tomb. And then you do that three times. But one of them, you you actually have to capture the tomb each time. You capture a tomb, you level it up, you release it, and then you capture the new version. Then you level it and release it. And then you capture the last one, which you can't get until after you've been to the far plane. So after you start the final mission, then you'll be able to do it. So because of that, I'm not leveling up Yuna, Riku, and Pain anymore, and I put Minerva Plate on them because Minerva Plate is a item that gives you zero experience and zero AP, which is annoying because I wish I could still level up their skills, but I don't get to level anything up at all because I can't, I won't be able to finish Creature Creator if I let them get too high of levels. So what I would have done with Trema with with Yuna, Riku, and Pain is I would have leveled them up to max and then I would have used two of them. One of them would have been using Dark Mage or Dark Knight. One of them would have obviously been healing and then maybe Alchemist, I, I want to say. I would probably do that. What I'm going to do after, because Trema's actually a main fight in Creature Creator later and I'm pretty sure he's identical. What I'm going to do is once I unlock Trema in Creature Creator, I'm going to see if I can beat him with YRP once I level them up. Because I'd like to see if it's something I could have done originally without the items that I have now that make my creatures mega powerful. Because Minerva Plate is great because what it also does is it gives you 40 magic defense for each one that you put on a creature. Because unlike Yuna, Riku, and Pain, where you can only use accessories to equip them to level up, in Creature Creator, you can spend your items permanently to get a permanent boost on each one. Yeah, it's like, that part of it reminds me a lot of powering up the Aeons in Final Fantasy X, but there's just a lot more to it this time. It's just a, like a big extension of that concept. So what I did was I farmed those because you get them in the Chocobo arena. I farmed a whole bunch of those and just leveled up my creatures, magic defense to the point where magic does nothing. I can, 
wipe the floor with Lulu and and Kamari, which who I couldn't beat before, because magic just basically does nothing to me now because all my creatures have two fifty five magic defense. So I've just I've put a lot of time and energy, and all my creatures have max health now, and I actually just unlocked higher power for my chocobo, which gives it break HP limit and then plus 50% HP. So I'm already going to be at like 15,000 HP by just equipping that thing. (laughs) Wow. And then I use two robots, which impale is super overpowered. It ignores defense. And with a strength of 255, I've did... 75,000 damage to Bahamut in one hit. Wow. Because you also get a garment grid, which is gives critical. So you're already doing a critical hit all the time. So with break HP or break damage limit, you're already constantly doing critical damage. But I think the game actually has still a critical stat. So you do even more damage <laughs> because normally I'd be doing 45,000 or 40,000 damage, putting that garment grid on him. The max damage I've seen is like 75,000, which is getting close to the higher damage limit. <laughs> yeah. Cause unless it, unless they've changed it, I assume it's the same one in 10, which was five nines. This conversation does bring me up into one of the main things I wanted to talk about this time, which was, Clearly, I was very incorrect when I had said, I don't remember when it was, but it was a little while ago, that Sphere Break was the main side, like, minigame in Ten Two, And in the original release, yeah, I guess it was, in terms of the thing that was the most involved, but clearly the creature creator, I mean, I feel like the creature creator is probably the most elaborate minigame of I want to say almost any RPG I've ever played, period. It's like half... If you were going to 100% the creature creator and do everything, I'm pretty sure you basically just immediately doubled the length of the game, if not more. If you could capture the monsters by just, like, throwing greens, just like you do for chocobos, you'd basically be being be playing Pokemon at that point. Yeah. And creature creator is... That aspect of a game, I love. I'm a huge fan of Disgaea because the whole point when you play a Disgaea game is to just become more and more powerful. And with Creature Creator, by being able to permanently upgrade stats, this is like my bread and butter. This is what I love doing. I love going in and making a creature as powerful as possible. And a lot of times when I was leveling up those creatures... Sometimes they would learn, especially for the uh, Aeons, specifically Bahamut's Aeon, the Fire Dragon eventually got, or not the Fire Dragon, it's Fire Dragon was... The Red Elemental? No, it's this giant dragon looking thing. It basically looks, and, and that's the other thing. I think the Aeons were very, they look almost exactly like... They look almost exactly like they're fiends. And when you look at a flan, because the flan Blanco is what Shiva is. Right. Yeah. A flan is nothing. So what did the Aeon do? It took the form of a human, but icy, which is what the flan was. I think that's exactly what happened. I think that when the Aeons took on, when the faith, became one with the Aeons, they basically took human elements. I think that's what they had to have done. And I think that's why we can get Aeons now, because we can take a faith fragment or whatever it is. Yeah, it explicitly mentions with those monsters that the ones you have to do for the Aeons, that they have yeah a faith fragment inside them, and I think you mentioned that last week. Yes. And so I think that's what happened, is when the human sacrifice themselves to basically join with the fiend. I think that's where Aeons came from. And they, 
I they they said what they did was they they the faith sacrificed themselves to become an aeon, but they didn't say how they did it. Yeah. And it seems to me, especially with the evidence in this game, that that's exactly how they did it. Because they just look like human versions. Like, what would a flan become if it was an Aeon? It's already just basically jello. Of course it would take the shape of the human. It's basically a ditto. Yeah. Of course it would take the shape of the human. And the dragon thing that you need for Bahamut, all it does is essentially stand up on two legs. So yeah. I really like that. And and I don't know if that was just an afterthought from the developer standpoint of how can we put the Aeons in this game. Whether that was an afterthought or whether that was the plan in general, that's pretty cool. And actually, you know, now that I'm sitting here thinking about the appearance of the Aeons, when I think about summons in other Final Fantasy games, because, you know, the summons themselves tend to be, it's pretty more or less the same group. There's a few that change, like Ixion, I'm pretty sure, is unique to 10, uh, because it's usually Rama, I want to say, in other ones. But in general, like Shiva's in all of them, Ifrit's in all of them, Bahamut's, you know, Bahamut's been there since literally Final Fantasy 1, even before Summoners were a thing. But now that I'm thinking about it, like, I don't, remember i mean bahamut was just a dragon i don't remember him ever standing up on two feet like that so it does seem like yeah in this world's version of the summons yeah like they did sort of incorporate the concept of their origin into how they looked and i hadn't that i had not thought about that at all until you started talking about it so i really think you're that that sounds correct to me so i've i i have to agree with you i love the creature creator which is why i've completed as much of it as I possibly can. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time working on it too, and the other really nice thing about it is because the the creatures will fight automatically when it's not, especially when it's not like a hard fight that I actually kind of need to pay attention to and give orders. I've, you know, like I've been listening to the episodes we've been recording and playing Creature Creator in the background when I'm doing my checkups to make sure the audio sounds good or things like that, or even just getting up and cleaning around m- my house some and then just come back and hit the button when the fight's over. So turns out Becklam is a really good blitzball player. Who saw that coming? Um I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember if he was in Final Fantasy ten as a blitzball player or not. But in that video, right before he's about to leave He does the jack shot. That's nuts. Yeah, he just does it. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Here it is. Boom. I was like, oh, dude. Yeah. So it turns out you've been secretly cool this whole time. And and just now we're finding out about this. Yeah. So a few on a similar note to that. Um, so a few of the areas do have like some actual plot, even though none of it is really immediately related to the main plot because at this point there really is no more main plot it's just whenever you're ready jump in the big hole and start but i have found it interesting seeing some of the uh side scenarios in in general i was kind of disappointed with a lot with a lot of them going into chapter five because i know we had talked about that to help especially because chapter four in general was disappointing but a couple of them had some like resolutions that i thought were actually pretty interesting now, Andrew, I, I understand that I've kept this pretty low-key, but it turns out that I really don't like Waka at all. I never saw that coming. I, I, I don't know how anyone would have picked up on that. You really have kept it very close to your chest. Why is the story of their kid only about him? The one thing that truly angers me about this game is it took Lulu and made her a side nothing character. This game took Lulu and made her only defining characteristic is pregnant woman because she has no influence on the child's name. He gets this whole video of his brother basically making fun of him 
about how, oh, turns out that story that I told you about my parents, it was a total lie. Uh, you know, I love you. I really just needed you to be my brother, not my father. He gets all of this. Chapu was her lover before he left and died. She doesn't get a special sphere from Chapu right before he leaves. That's, he clearly recorded that right as he left. You're going to tell me that you're not going to record anything for the woman that you love right before going to potentially die. Because that's the sphere that Becklam gives to you. But Waka gets it. Waka gets a nice story with Chapu. Nothing regarding her time as a guardian during this whole game. You don't get to hear anything more about Lulu at all. Lulu would absolutely crush parenthood because she does everything amazing. It is beyond disappointing to me that this game had zero focus on her other than the one conversation she gets with Yuna when she comes back of basically Lulu being a mother figure saying, please take care of yourself and make sure people do not take advantage of you. He got a story throughout this whole game, his own personal mini story about how he needs to deal with the fact that he's going to become a, a, a father. And she gets absolutely nothing. She basically just gets to be pregnant the entire time. And I cannot even describe to you how disappointing it was that you got nothing in this game more about Lulu. Because Kamari gets this whole side story. Waka gets this whole side story. Riku and Yuna are obviously having their whole side story. The entire game is about finding Titus again. Aaron is dead. And so we don't see anything on him except for the fact that one of Riku's dress spheres, I think it's Warrior, is the Masamune. But we get nothing. No more details on Lulu. And and it makes me so angry. You're right. Absolutely. I mean, I hadn't thought about it that much, and I'm actually kind of embarrassed about that, that I didn't really think about the fact that there was basically nothing for Lulu, but you're 100% right. It's terrible. Um, both Lulu and Aaron, who are easily, in my opinion, the two most interesting members of the original party in terms of, like, their history, like, everything about them, both in terms of they were extremely useful in the party and also just very interesting character concepts. And their Aaron's backstory and Lulu's history, I, I was, yeah, they're my favorites. Because there was this whole history in the first game about how she went on a guardian, or she went on a quest with a summoner and was a guardian. And then failed. And yeah. we got no details on that. And and the Guardian that she failed died in that secret dungeon where we got Yojimbo. Because that's where it mentions it in the first game. That that's where uh, her summoner passed away. I didn't even remember that specific. I mean, I knew that she had been a Guardian and her, summon, or her summoner died, but I didn't remember it was in that specific location. It was in that cave. We revisit that cave for a whole mission about saving people. And yes, she was pregnant and couldn't move around a whole lot. She could have had the baby at the beginning of the game. And Waka still could have struggled with becoming a father. And we still could have got more detail from Lulu. This game did a massive disservice to her. And honestly, the whole like fatherhood trying to come to accept fatherhood story is probably maybe even the single most overdone character motivation story in video games at this point. Now, granted this was done before I think it became that overdone, but it's still always been a thing and it is just a really lazy story. And, and I'm fine with them being lazy for Waka. 
But the problem is those kinds of stories pretty much always inherently mean that the mother figure essentially is nothing. And in this case, the sacrifice who was essentially nothing as far as the story goes was Lulu. And that makes it even worse. But she's less than nothing because they don't even talk about how great of a mother she would be. At least she didn't have to die to motivate Waka because that's what usually happens in these stories. If they had, if she had died giving birth, I would hate this game. That I would have instantly hated this game because the, the amount of disservice that this game has already done to Lulu, I would have been like, nope. It doesn't ha- It doesn't matter how much fun I've had with this game. I would have been like, this 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 sucks. Because they took a character that, in my opinion, and is one of the best characters in the first game, and just threw them to the wayside like they were nothing. They didn't even bother to retexture her to be pregnant. If you weren't going to do that, then already have had the kid. Like, put a little work into the textures. Or already have the child they took the time to to animate a baby and they couldn't have animated a pregnant stomach on lulu or even like a different outfit to wear given that they designed like 30 outfits for the main characters all of which are completely different from the one they were wearing in the first game yep but but lulu can't have one retexture at all so the other thing about this is it feels really weird given the theme of the game because like when you look at Final Fantasy X-2 as a whole what it's really about is basically like learning about the past and overcoming it because that's really the theme of everything whether it's the war the war from a thousand years ago that is the main focus or again like Waka like you were just describing with Waka's story about you know dealing with his own parents and coming to accept his fatherhood or um Clasco trying to move past his own failures or Owaka move just to set up his home and reconciling with his I thought it was his brother but the way it gets described he really sounds like his son Owaka's but that aside I'm pretty sure that is his brother I thought once, it was his brother but then he said he once you, you disgraced his- the name of Owaka the 14th and that would be imply that that would be his kid once was his brother in the first game. It was definitely his brother. But unless they retconned it being his kid, I I am like so positive that once is his No, I brother. I 100% agree. I was I was sure it was his brother. It was just that one line stood out cuz I was like that sounds like Awaka the 14th would be Awaka the 13th's son. But not necessarily. I mean, that's generally how that works. His younger brother could have been Awaka the the fourteenth, but even though he was born because he was born after the thirteenth, their family may just only have people named Awaka. That would get extremely confusing. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that his brother couldn't ever get the name right. Yeah, he tried so many. But welcome to a welcomes. Uh, Waka to a welcomes. <laughs> but that, just to go back to what I was trying to finish up there, that thought was the theme of the entire game is this sort of looking at your past, figuring out where you want to go and moving forward. I mean, because that's really the whole thing with Yuna, too, is and maybe Titus is going to come back with the 100% ending or whatever, but the whole game from Yuna's perspective is about that under coming to terms with who you used to be and moving to who you want to be now. And given all of that, that just makes the lack of any discussion of Lulu that much more egregious because like you were saying, this would have been a great opportunity for her to maybe like deal work through that previous guardianship that failed and things like that to, you know, become or to to move towards the future instead of just existing. Yeah, and that's the biggest reason why I'm so upset with this game. Because every other character, including Clasco, got their own storyline. 
but one of the main characters from the last game gets nothing at all. It is beyond disappointing. But after that astronomical disappointment, I'm sure glad that I went back and redid that section where you do where you get the chocobo to ensure that Riku lands on her butt. Right? Yes, that came up. And of all the things, I feel like that dis- that moment really distills what makes Final Fantasy X-2 so, on the one hand, interesting, but also frustrating that this thing we talked about four episodes ago, I think by now, if not more, where whether or not Riku falls on her butt actually winds up having repercussions later in the game, all the way in Chapter 5. Because it turns out, if she didn't land on her butt, then she must have landed on actual ground. Because when she jumps off from a high place, it turns out she actually was the cause of the machines going crazy. Because when she jumped from a high place, she actually landed on one of the machina, which caused it to go haywire. And that's why she lost her balance and fell. Although it could have been anybody, and it just so happens that because of seeing certain things, it turns out it was her fault. And I'll admit that little resolution in the Calm Lands I thought was kind of, like that, not Calm Lands, on Meehan. I thought that was kind of entertaining, like doing the little investigation and looking around. That was probably my favorite part of Chapter 4 with the Calm Spheres. It was for me, too. Because apparently, depending on what information you find, he comes to a different conclusion on whose fault it was. Yeah, but having, again, such a minor thing as whether or not Riku falls on her butt versus lands on her feet in a side qu- in a two-second-long cutscene in a side quest in Chapter 2 directly changes the reward you get in Chapter 5. And the thing that I've been thinking about especially this week as we've been seeing you know all of these plot threads come to an end and really kind of gra- grasping the extent of how much all these little random things actually matter it's fascinating because like on the one hand if this game was 2 or 3 hours long having this much variation and reactivity would be amazing and then you would want to play it again just to see what el- how it could go differently and stuff like that. But in a, you know, full length RPG, something that you might not find out what you, that you miss something for like 20 hours. The thing is, you would never know if you miss something because you just wouldn't get a hot spot. And if you're not following a 100% guide, you're not going to have any clue that you miss something. You're going to have no idea that you miss something that you're not going to be able to get later. Until you get to the point where maybe you fight that monster again, and then you look up and say, hey, why can't I find this manual anywhere in the game? Well, it's because you can't get into the dungeon where you're supposed to get Clasco, because you never did the Clasco stuff. Because all Clasco does the entire time is just talk about how he's a massive failure. Did you talk to that lady in Xanarkin? Which one? Like the one the shop used to be lady? Like, the shop lady, yeah. I did. Did you see the dialogue where she said that she's concocting a sinister plan to get rid of the monkeys? I did not. I only talked to her once. Is it one of those things like you keep talking to her, a different dialogue shows up? Yeah. Yeah, no, I only talked to her the once. She talks about how she, she, she never, she doesn't go into the plan, but she specifically says, I have a sinister plan to get rid of the monkeys. So that shop lady straight up going to go crazy and murder a whole bunch of monkeys. Which, be- which brings me into what is the deal with this game and monkeys? Yeah. Did, like, because the monkeys also have one of the manuals to fix that thing in Jose. Which makes three different quests now that have involved monkeys in some way that are not at all connected to each other. Like what is going on with the monkeys? Did I, it, it reminds me of that meme 
where people are sitting in a boardroom. I can just see someone going, let's, why don't we have a side quest without monkeys? And then that person is tossed out a window <laughs> and told that they're fired on the way down. How dare you suggest that something in this game doesn't involve monkeys in some way, shape, or form. I have a theory that Vegnagun is actually controlled by a monkey, and whenever it gets scared, that's a monkey. Because monkeys can be overpowered by just about anything in this game. What if Shuyin is actually a monkey and he's just hiding his tail like a Saiyan? But where would, would Titus... Titus should have had a tail then. Well, if he was always hiding it, then they wouldn't have known about it for the dream. Yuna would definitely know. No, but I mean, like, the dream Titus wouldn't have had it if the original, if the Faith didn't know the original Shuyin had one. Hmm. It's possible. He might be a monkey. At this point, having the reveal be that he was a monkey would be completely in character with everywhere else these freaking monkeys have been in this game. It, it would just be in character for this game. It just turns out everyone's a monkey. Everybody was a monkey the whole time. They can change dress fears so easily and change their appearance and everything because it turns out they were all wearing human disguises because they were all monkeys. Everything in this game, Maeklin is a monkey. We've also confirmed that he was totally there for this whole war. Yeah, we, we absolutely called it earlier when we were talking about Maeklin being extremely old and possibly there for the original war. That was 100% correct and confirmed in Sanderkind in Chapter 5. Which 100% confirms my theory about how he's the secret villain of everything. How he's been controlling Shu Yin this entire time. He is the one. Have you done Den of Woe? I have not. Never mind. Because again, to go back to everything being interconnected, in order to do Den of Woe, you have to get through at least floor 40 of the bonus dungeon in Befell to get the last items you need to get into that dungeon. I don't really see what the big deal is. It, it's <laughs> not... I'm confident that I will be able to get through at least floor 40. I'm not worried about that. It's just a comment about... Like we were talking about earlier, everything is interconnected way more than it was in previous chapters where all of a sudden you can't actually wrap anything up and like you kind of just have to bounce around the map and do part of one thing to go to do something else and get partway through that to get something else. Like you can't just finish it. I had to jump around so much because the first thing I did was beat Via Infinito because I just wanted to see if I could take on Trema, who it turns out Trema is the one that actually stole all the spheres. Really? He is the one that stole all the feet, all the spheres and then essentially just fled. And then he, he left and nobody knew where he was. He was the one that started the whole, nobody could see these spheres anymore. Interesting. Obviously I don't know anything about that because I haven't gotten any of the story in that area, but that is very intriguing. I actually didn't watch I recorded the video, but I haven't rewatched it yet, so I don't know the full story behind everything, which I think is better because if you actually do beat Via Infinito this week, then we'll be able to talk about what he actually has to say. Yes. But yeah, it turns out he is the one that stole all the spheres. Huh. I, uh, really, though, that's good in that I like that, honestly, this new generation of leaders all seem to be pretty solid people compared to the last generation where everybody was a corrupt terrible person. And that's because everybody was all dead. All of them were dead who refused to pass on. So, hey, the chains of the past they were holding people back and preventing them from looking at the future. It's like, that's the theme of the game, like I said 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Did you like how Yibel was so excited to fight Yuna? And then, I'll, well, he was so excited to fight Yuna in theory that as soon as his name gets called... He immediately starts freaking out that, about how bad like, it's going to be. I will always remember the day that I got to challenge Lady Yuna. Are you a glutton for punishment or something? Because I killed you in like one hit, dude. That was really funny, especially since Yibel then, well, I mean, not even then. He could have shown up before if you had it previously unlocked like you did. But him showing up in the Youth League tournament. And just really driving home how outclassed he is by literally everyone else in his organization. Except for the fact that you were watching that one time. I was doing Creature Creator for one of the first times. 
And I couldn't beat it because I couldn't beat news at first. Yibel beat news. How on earth does Yibel beat news? It had to be like a 1% chance. Did he just like install a virus in News's leg or something and he couldn't move? <laughs> it turns out that Yibel's like a secret programmer. If you had watched the videos in a different way, it turned it would have turned out that Yibel's not only a monkey, but he is also like a secret super secret cro programmer and he sabotaged all the machina. Yibel's definitely a monkey. Everyone is a monkey. <laughs> Everything in this game is a monkey. It's all it's monkeys all the way down. It turned by the end of this game, by the finale, you're gonna jump out of the far plane because the finale's in the far plane. You're gonna jump out of it, and the whole world is going to be nothing but monkeys. So it'll be like a Twilight Zone ending sort of thing. I just don't get like who was on the de the the developers team that just said, you know, we have these monkeys. Why don't we use them? Shouldn't they be holding on to a manual or something? And if you stand in a you stand in a circle of monkeys and they jump at a specific time and you press X you'll you'll get the manual somehow. What? 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 Why? What sense does this make? And so it's things like that that also come back to the other thing of I have no idea how anyone was ever expected to figure this stuff out naturally. Yeah, I think I said that in in in, in our first episode. But some, some of this stuff how in, on earth was anyone ever going to figure this out? Some of this stuff in chapter five, though, feels even more ridiculous. Like, like, like again, that monkey thing. So the quest that's connected to is literally just you need to find five repair manuals to fix the this Machina boss in Jose Tempo in chapter five. And that's literally all the you, you don't get any clues at all. So they could literally be anywhere in the world. But the first one you find is. There's one in a chest. You give a password to this dude. Then you talk to some guy. You get one in the Chocobo dungeon. And then the monkeys have have them, have one of them for just some reason. And one of them, a random Machina on the high road is carrying. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that one. And it could be any of the Machina, apparently. Yeah, the, the, the Meehan high road where there are all those Machina that have been patrolling for all five of them... You have to go up to every single one of them and try to talk to them, and one of them will have it. It's like the Albed were just lazily throwing these manuals around. And how one of the manuals show up in the Chocobo Dungeon, can somebody please explain this to me? How on earth a dungeon that nobody knew about? Because... Clearly, nobody knew about the Fiend Arena, because when you go to the Fiend Arena in Final Fantasy X, this old dude is just like, oh, it's been so long since I've had a visitor. Finally, I can make my super monster creatures again. And then begins to start experimenting on all the fiends to create abominations. And then Clasco shows up, locks him in a cage, and then is like, yo! This is all mine now. We're, I'm in the chocobo business now. It's all about chocobos. Everything's chocobos. Chocobo, chocobo, chocobo. There's this cave. I think there might be an amazing chocobo in there. Yeah, chocobos. Chocobo, chocobo. <laughs> Which it turns out, chocobos, this whole time, you find out after you beat the cave, chocobos are just monkeys in robotic chocobo. All the chocobos are dead. My mind is blown. It's just the monkeys have taken over their chocobo robots. That's why nobody had seen chocobos on the high road for a while, as the real ones were gone and the monkeys were building chocobo suits. Yeah, the the chocobo eater. That one you have to go catch in chapter two was the prototype monkey chocobo that was taking it for a spin to see if it worked or not for the first time. And it's like, oh, yep, this is great. And Clasco knows this. He knows that there's nothing but monkeys in there. It's all part of his nefarious plot. Well, him, him, Tobley, and Shuyin. And Meechin. Oh, yeah, and Meechin. What Meechin is like the shadow guy. So he's like... He's the shadow guy that's pulling all the strings in the background. So he's like Emperor Palpatine in the prequels, like setting everything up. Yeah, nobody really knows who he is. 
he's just like this super secret dude that is behind the scenes and and controlling everyone fascinating i mean i can't i i don't know what's gonna happen but i do know that maiklin is mega evil and also a monkey i don't think he is a monkey what i don't think maiklin is a monkey and i know it doesn't make sense maiklin monkey they're so they're super close yeah, you would think if anybody would be a monkey, it would be him. I think he was the Jane Goodall of monkeys. And that he originally was doing this whole thing, this whole war. All of it was because the monkeys were going endangered. And he was worried. So what he did was he started doing all he started killing off thousands upon thousands of people. So that way the monkeys would have more room to spread and just get get everywhere. And then sin happened and he really didn't know what to do. Because sin does not discriminate between monkeys and people. Sin just kills everything. So then he's sitting there thinking, well, I got to help these people because Yuna's the only one that can kill sin. The only one that can kill this thing forever. Because Shu Yin's back for some reason, I, he was really confused when when Titus showed up. And then he was like, hey, hey, what's up, man? I'm Titus. And the guy's thinking, great. Amnesia doesn't know anything. My monkey plan can continue. <laughs> so they kill Sin, and now so is it- Maiklin's opportunity to once again wipe off all human life so the monkeys can thrive. So then does that make... Shuyin and Maiklin on the same team, or is Shuyin like an anti-monkey guy that he was worried about and now is trying to manipulate into, oh yeah, you'll totally kill the monkeys with this, wink, wink, wink. Well, you find out Shuyin, there's something you find out in the Den of Woe that kind of, I don't agree with Shuyin, but I sort of get it. Okay, well that'll be interesting then, so we can talk about that next week. And I think that Maiklin has just been manipulating him this whole time because he ruined his monkey plan in the first place. And now he's just wants to get revenge. Fascinating. This whole game, all of it has been about the monkeys and their survival. When, when in reality, humans can coexist with the monkeys. Well, apparently not because we used monkeys to drive the humans out of Xanarkand. Ah, but that's because they were constantly stealing everybody's money. If we live in a society that doesn't have money, there's nothing for the monkeys to steal. And it's just coexistence between humans and monkeys. So what you're saying is communism now? No, I'm saying monkeyism. (laughs) Okay. That's the planet. That's what Maiklin wants. That's... That's not how the game is going to end because we're obviously against Maiklin. But because it looks like he sent himself. Okay. One, he just learned how to apparate just like Shuyin can. Maiklin can teleport wherever he needs to. That's why nobody saw him show up in Lagos and Ormi's house. Right, or even on the bridge of... The airship in chapter four. Nobody saw him show up. It's because he can teleport using the fireflies. He's been around for a thousand years. Of course, he figured out how to do that. He's the secret villain. I mean, if Shugan can do it, Maiklin certainly can. Yeah. So what are your expectations going into the end of the game? Well, I expect I'm going to be really annoyed going into the end of the game because of all the extra... All the stuff that's left to do that I've been kind of putting off knowing I was going to hate it, like via Infinito. And that's like the best part of this game, though. Creature Creator and via Infinito. It was a little. The most annoying part of via Infinito is that you can't skip any of the fights. You, you can escape the random encounters, but you can't turn them off. No matter what you do, you always have a random encounter. And sometimes in this game, it seems like the RNG is just screwed up. That's the only real annoyance that I had with it. Fighting all the monsters, easy, done. Well, yeah, you were were also 
massively overleveled. <laughs> no, I was just the right level. Well, I'm still quite a bit behind where you were when you did this stuff. I'm only 9-9 on all my creatures. The actual literal max. Hey, there's break HP limit and break damage limit. I am not at the max, sir. There's no break level limit. No, but you can still make your stats go higher. Except you can't make your your, your stats, the max you can get is 255. Yes, exactly. Oh, apparently, well, I guess, apparently the Mugisons aren't dead? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that back up, yeah. Because, and I can show you, because I know you didn't see them on, on the comm spheres, they definitely looked dead to me. Yeah, but they're apparently okay, which I'll admit, the the sound of them talking about they're going to die and stuff was a pretty dark and, you know, downer for a more or less relatively lighthearted game. So seeing them alive, you know, is more in line with what I would expect for this game. But boy, that was just out of nowhere, just a complete 180. Oh, it turns out the Guado saved us, so the magic of Makalania is not sustaining you? I, it didn't really explain. They were basically just like, well, we're going to disappear whenever this disappears because we just don't have anywhere else to go. Dude, you could have gone to literally any other city and they would have welcomed you. Yeah, I guess they just needed somebody to convince them that they could leave. I guess. And the, the Guado are back in Guado Salam. I really don't know how I feel about Tromley becoming the leader. Trommel, yeah. Because he was 100% on Seymour's side. I mean, yes, people can change. And it's pretty clear that he's done a lot of growing up since then. But wow, I... Oof. And speaking of Seymour, since... You reminded me of this. Did you watch the uh, backstory spheres of the three leaders? Three three leaders? What do you mean? Like Nuge and Barilai? I watched Nuge. I, you, I am just now remembering that I got Barilai and I never watched it. So, but to get back to your original question about expectations, like I said, I'm expecting it's going to be kind of annoying. Uh, we are definitely committed to next episode wrapping up the main story. And so I'm expecting that the game is probably going to end. I assume Vegnagun's going to be the final boss. I've been assuming that pretty much since chapter three started. As soon as they mentioned Vegnagun, that's exactly well, what as soon I was as he, thinking. As soon as we got to there in chapter two and he had escaped, because originally it seemed like he was just going to be the boss of chapter two. But yeah, so that I'm definitely expecting Vegnagun and maybe also Shuyin is a separate thing. Like, I don't know if it'll if they'll pull something like we did in Final Fantasy X, where after you beat the final boss, you fight Yevin. Yeah, it's not going to be Shuyin. It's going to be Maeklin. Okay. Well, then it'll be fighting Maeklin after it, whatever. Um, I, I guess I really don't know what to expect afterwards. I feel like the 100% thing is going to be getting reunited with actual Titus. That seems like the where it's been going to this whole time, but I don't know. That just feels, that almost feels like a, a worse ending in some respects. And I, but we can save talk about that for when we actually get there. I don't know. Yuna finally getting what she wants after all this time. I guess, but, the, but that kind of goes against the whole, you know, the past holding you back and you're trying to move on towards the future. If in the end, her best resolution is getting to go be attached to the past again. That's fair, but she can create a new future with him. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so what are your expectations? Well, my expectations are reunite with Titus. Like, 100%. It has to be. With as much work as they put into this game, you have to. I don't know how she's going to reunite with him. I don't know if he's going to be, like, a, a dead guy, which... Well, I mean, the finale is on the far plane, so it very much could be that sort of reunite, as opposed to him getting to come back with her permanently or something. I would be okay if they reunited on the far plane, like if it was actually him, not just a memory recreated by the Pyreflies. That's how they explained when you could see people on the far plane before. Yeah, that's true. They said that the Pyreflies 
would just, if the person was dead, they would show up as that person because they were part of the life stream or whatever, but it wouldn't truly be them. It would basically just be a memory of them based off of what the other people were thinking. At least that's what I got in the first game. No, that that sounds right. Yes, I, I that's pretty much how I understood it as well. I think she will truly be reunited with Titus, whether he gets to come back or not. Because I would even be okay with him not getting to come back, but just her getting to see him one last time and have an actual conversation with him, because then that would allow her to move on with her life. Yeah, see, I think I would. I think that would be the best for me as well. Like I, I feel like that would be the most I don't know, ideal way to wrap it up. Because it was just so abrupt. After the final battle, he disappears like within a few minutes. And she really, she's like, I love you. And then he just jumps off the side and, you know, is disappeared forever. If they actually got to have a conversation about like what's happened and she got to tell him this story and this whole story about getting to this point, if that is the wrap up, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and actually that does tie back because it's been a little while since she's really done that a whole lot. But yeah, oh, that's not true because she has done the wrap up or she's done that narration again for the wrap up of a couple of the stories. But yes, if that's if really what this is, is like her just sitting there talking to him or whatever, like summarizing what she's been to to come find him here on the far plane. That would that would be a really good ending, I think. And I think it would allow it would stay with the same general message of moving forward of her getting over him. I just had a terrible, terrible realization, Andrew. What's that? If that is what this game is truly doing, who do you think they're going to pair up with Yuna? I don't think they're going to pair anyone up with Yuna and she'll just end the game by herself. You would have thought that about Lulu, too. That is true, and I realize where you're going with this. They're going to put her with brother because of that whole him realizing that she is better than him, and that's why he likes her so much. I will be disgusted. I'm very upset with this uh, theory you're presenting here. It's making me very unhappy. This isn't my theory, Andrew. This is what this game is gearing up to do to us. This game is just sitting here happening to me. And if this is how it's going to end, this will go down as one of my all-time hated video games. How could they do this to Yuna? As this game has gone on, I I have come completely back around on pain especially after all of these side stories. There's a specific conversation between Payne, Yuna, and Riku after you do the the Jose a second time that makes me really come around on Payne in general. But throughout the whole game, Riku was my favorite for the longest time. That is slowly being taken over by Yuna. Just because of what she's gone through and what she's done and what she's doing now to help people. I'm just getting to the point where Yuna is quickly overtaking everybody else as one of my favorite characters in this game. When Yuna has been written well, she has been a very well done character here in Tan 2. Aside from the bits we talked about before where it really felt like she was being written by somebody else because she feels really different, but her general, I guess most common presentation especially as we've gotten closer near the end of the game yeah she's just been she's been a lot like the Yuna from the first game where she's not you know completely selfless and I guess almost even a pushover like she was in the first game but you know she's still got that core of really caring about people and trying to do right by everybody yeah and and that is I agree with brother that Yuna is awesome That is the Yuna that I want to see. I would just like to put it on the record to remember this moment that Chris said he agreed with brother about something. (laughs) But that's that will tell you how in certain points of this game, any character can be written well. 
if I actually agree with brother on anything, then why couldn't the story developers have actually spent any time at all giving Lulu a resolution to anything? Her guardian, becoming a mom, Chapu, anything. Yeah, and I suppose we'll just have to leave that as thoughts for going into the finale now, and I think that's going to do it for episode nine of Video Games Cover to Cover. New episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, I hate walking.